All right, everybody. Welcome back to the best star of their day. Fern here, and I'm here with, uh, I don't want to say I'm a fanboy, fanboy right now, but I have read almost all of your books. So nice, here with, nice. yes, I am here with uh, Mike Michalowicz, uh, who we have recommended Profit First to virtually everybody who has asked us about uh, just finances in the microgem space over the years. And uh, me personally, that fundamentally flipped my business. I think this was probably five years ago. So thank you personally for that. I really appreciate that. You're, you're very welcome. Congratulations yeah. on doing it. And thank you for spreading um, the word. Yeah, yeah, no, we love it. And then, uh, and then actually John Briggs is who kind of did the handoff to your team. Cause I've been working with him in insight tax for three years now, probably. Oh, he's the guy's fantastic. He owns a CrossFit uh, center. Yeah, he does. Yep. He bought, he purchased the gym that he was at, uh, I think maybe two years ago or maybe not even that much, but, uh, and I think that's probably what prompted writing profit first for micro gyms because <laughs> he saw all the problems. So, yeah. um, but yeah, um, I wanted to ask you, is the, what's the, what's, so actually I was, I have not read Surge. I was reading, I was looking through all the books, but that's the only one that I haven't read of yours. So you've written Surge, Profit First, Pumpkin Plan, Toilet Paper, toilet paper Entrepreneur, Fix This Next, and Clockwork. Is that right? Yeah, wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah, you I nailed them all. I studied before this, so. Nicely done. <laughs> Nicely. Uh, but I have not read Surge, but I need to. Um, which one's your favorite? My favorite book is probably The Pumpkin Plan, just okay. in the experience of writing it, but just how I wrote it. I think the most impactful of those is Profit First. And actually, yeah. I'll fix this next, maybe my pinnacle work in regards to impact. So that, when we were chatting very briefly right before we hit record, um, what, what prompted that? I'm, I'm just curious. Fix this next? Yeah. So I sent an email out to my list saying, what's the biggest challenge you're facing? The reason I did that is because I, I wanted to write my next book, but I, I sent the, I, I did something wrong. I clicked like three or four times because the email went out three or four times in the same day. And some people responded. And the question was, what's your biggest challenge in the year ahead? Some people, the same person would respond to that question multiple times with different answers. Like the guy oh. was like, Oh, I got a sales problem. And he's like, Oh, I got a, a marketing problem. Oh no, no. We have a hiring issue. Oh no. It's, it's, it's vision and planning. It came very apparent to me that the biggest challenge business owners face is actually knowing what the biggest challenge is. That's how the book came about. Which is timely considering COVID-19 and yeah. civil unrest and a whole lot of other things going on. Um, yeah. and, that's, and that's actually kind of what I wanted to dive into, which is uh, super interesting, particularly in the CrossFit space, because you took Maslow's hierarchy of needs and then you created the business hierarchy of needs um and the way that kind of transfer transfers pretty cleanly into the crossfit space is we have the hierarchy for the development of an athlete which is very similar it's like how would i build the best version of you and it would be built in this order um, oh, cool. um so i think a lot of people that are nerds about crossfit like i am will get the the uh the idea there or the concept um but what i did think was interesting and i th i get it now having made multiple mistakes in business was i when I read the concept, I didn't think sales would be the base. Would you, and, you, did you have a feeling what the base would be? Or? No, but for whatever reason, I don't know why. Just, and, and I yeah. think you probably, I, I don't, I'm trying to remember some from back some of your books, but most new entrepreneurs don't really put the emphasis on sales because it feels sticky, feels that's icky, right. right? So that's why I was just like, oh, okay. Like I get it. I understand it now having made all the mistakes, but that's not what I would have put down there, but that makes perfect sense. Just yeah. like nu nutrition is the base of the hierarchy for the, devel the development athlete. That's what fuels the athlete. And this is what would fuel a business. Um, but what I want to ask you is like, how did you start? How did you 
how did you come up with the idea of that idea of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and then applying it to the business? So what my hypothesis was that all business essentially is the same. So you could have a CrossFit gym or a pizza shop mm-hmm. and which maybe those are polar opposites, uh, but they're the <laughs> same identically. And when I say Maslow's hierarchy, what I realized is if you and I were saying next to each other, we're easy to distinguish different heights. Uh, you know, if there's men and women, there's different genders, different mm-hmm. skin colors, you know, whatever. We judge on external factors, but when you peel back the skin for me and you, we're, we're identical internally, like the biological makeup. And um, as, I, as I was looking at business, I was like, oh, wow, businesses externally, we decipher them on the industry they're in in some categories, but when we look at them, essentially they're the same. So what's the core essence? So I studied, well, for this book specifically, hundreds of businesses, but collectively now well over thousands of businesses, mm-hmm. and discovered that there is a common DNA. The sales is the foundational level because it's the introduction of cash into a business. It, it's the it's the it's it's breathing effectively. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like exercise. You can do everything you want to bring about toneness and strength and muscle, but if you're not breathing, all that stuff's out the window. Foundationally, we need Maslow argued. We need to breathe, we need to consume water, and we need uh, calories. Without that, you, you can't sustain. In the business, foundationally, if there's no sales, there's no creation of cash, the business is suffocating. So that's why it's the foundational level to a business. Yeah, and again, it was obvious when I read it, having no, like having been through multiple iterations of, of our business over the past decade. Um, but I still think there's a lot of I guess the, the next question with regard to that is what is something that you've learned over the years or did you ever have an issue with sales? Like, like, like when you first started business, like what, did you have those weird new entrepreneur things where like, man, I don't really want to sell my thing, but I'm trying oh, to totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I've owned businesses now uh, ever since I've been an adult and I've had um, a, a wonderful journey. I'm very happy with what I've experienced. I, uh, I remember when I first became an author. So selling a, a book, it's like selling any other product. Mm-hmm. It's, it's perhaps a, a very competitive market though. Like if you think, if you walk down a, uh, a supermarket aisle and you're passing like the cereal line, there's, I don't know, like 50 cereals. It's hard to distinguish. You look for the one you know and you grab it. Well, go to a Barnes and Nobles. Now I get those cereal boxes times 10,000. Like, you know, my book is buried among tens, if not like 100,000 books. How, how do you stand out? When I wrote my first book, uh, I didn't want to sell because I didn't want to be a creepy, slimy kind of info mm-hmm. marketing guy. And I met with um, an info marketer. His name is Yannick Silver, wonderful guy. And I met with him and he said, tell me about your book. And I told him, he goes, do you believe the solutions you provide in your book are better than the alternatives? I mean, the, the per dollar value you provide in your book, is it better than some info thing? I'm like, yeah. I believe my book a hundred times more than that. I think it's the most important book and it'll provide so many solutions. It's, it's, it's necessary and it's, it's better for entrepreneurs than anything else. And he looks at me, he goes, you have a goddamn responsibility to start selling then. He goes, you're a disservice when you don't sell. Meaning if I have something that can serve people by shirk the responsibility of selling it, they're going to buy. They're just not going to buy from me. They're going to buy from a lesser alternative. If you own a micro gym, and you really believe you're having great impact on people, that you really are caring for them, well, then you have a damned responsibility to sell it because they're gonna, they're, they're gonna buy like uh, the Abinductor belt that electrocutes them, you know, that, that thing on TV. 
But they said it works. So, <laughs> but you're like, oh, they're gonna buy. Yep. We have responsibility to sell ethically and morally if our solution is truly in their best interest. That was a realization that I came to several years, and I've had the good for it. So I work for CrossFit as well, the large company as well as own my affiliate. And uh, that was something that I came to the realization of. I was like, this, this is the best thing there is. Yeah. And me having this weird objection to selling because it feels sleazy to me, I have to figure out how to get over that because every per just like you said, every person that walks in and says, hey, I want to lose weight. Well, I have the solution for that, right? And for me to not provide that solution to you is doing them a massive disservice. Exactly. And, it, and it's just really hard selling. to. So, you know, it, it, there's an interesting scenario that we've all experienced with selling, I think, is that if you hire or leverage the use of an assistant of some sort, if you ask someone, hey, I'm considering getting a coffee machine. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you mind finding me a couple options that you think are good? That person that does the research comes back and says, you know, here's three options based on what you said, I would buy this coffee machine. It's the best choice. Our likelihood of buying a coffee machine is like a 99% chance because we task someone for finding us the best solution. Well, that's our job in selling our offering. Someone says, I want to lose weight. We say, okay, tell me a little bit about that. Let me see if I can find you the best solution. And as long as we ethically come back and say, here's the best three solutions, I feel that we offer here happens to be the best solution for your needs, then sell it. And, and, and if we find an alternative and say, you know what, actually, you're better suited for a Weight Watchers program. Um, and, and direct them there, we're truly being of service. Mm -hmm. I think if we go in with that mentality and, and see that in many cases, we are going to be the best solution, they're coming to us for a reason, then, then I think it gets rid of that ickiness and we realize we're just being of service. In the best yeah, way no, I agree 100%. And I, for me, I think uh, just like a lot of probably gym owners, because most of them went from passion to business owner, have a weird uh, imposter syndrome yeah. complex and yeah. they don't recognize themselves while they might not be an expert in the industry, the overarching industry, in that one-on-one -on -one interaction, they are absolutely the expert. And they, and they don't recognize that what I, my job here is to recommend to you a solution because you're probably going to listen to me because you recognize me as, a, as the expert, even though I may not recognize myself as the expert. Isn't that um, funny? That's true. It's weird. It's so weird. It's weird, but it's the, it's the truth. We're so good at what we do, we think everyone's good at it, and it's totally not true. Yeah. Well, I think we skipped, I skipped a couple steps. So let's talk about the hierarchy first. So I just yeah. went to the base right there. Um, I'll let you kind of talk about it. I mean, I wrote it down, but I'll let sure. you talk about it. So the hierarchy of needs for a business is uh, foundationally you need sales. Sales is the oxygen for business. It's cash. Once that is coming in, once you're breathing, then you go to the next level, which is profit. Profit is the retention of cash. It brings stability to an organization. And you know, with this COVID crisis, you can tell the gyms that were never focused on profit. They're the ones who shut the doors and they were done. Mm -hmm. The ones that focus on profit, I'm not saying they don't have struggles and challenges, but they do have runway. They mm -hmm. have time to repackage, try new, delivering new things because they had this reserve of cash. That's what profit is. Mm -hmm. Profit, and the analogy I use, is the absorption of oxygen. Sales mm -hmm. is breathing. Profit is getting it in the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. The next level above that's order. Order is the creation of efficiency. This is where there's no dependency on the owner. Most small businesses depend fully or near exclusively on the owner. The only way to scale that business is by the owner working harder. So there's a, there's a cap. We were exhausted. Actually, some business people start to resent their business. All I do is work for this thing. So order is if we can get the business owner out of the business and the business continues to grow, you've achieved a business that can truly scale and be of service. But the only way you can get there is by first being profitable. If you have no cash, 
you got to be working for the business. So let's nail the profit part. Let's get the order. Order is the muscle for a business. This is now where it has the mechanics in place. Above that's impact. Impact is the creation of transformation. This is actually inherent to gyms, but not all businesses uh, realize that it's inherent to all business. Transformation uh, is where your impact is where your business is beyond the transaction with the client and it's a transformative experience where the client's like, you've changed my life. Mm-hmm. And when your business, when you hear that consistently, you've changed my life, that's where you're having impact with clients. And gyms, it's, it's built into the nature of what you do because it's the essence of health. Mm-hmm. But even like, I talked about Harley Davidson recently. Harley Davidson, they sell motorcycles. You can't consider that transformative because a motorcycle is a motorcycle. But when you buy a Harley Davidson, now you belong to a tribe. You're, you're a member in a community. That actually is transformative. You, you, it means something. Mm-hmm. The highest level is called legacy. Legacy is the creation of permanence. And what I found so fascinating about this level in my research is this is where business owners came to me and said, there was a day I realized as a business owner, I never was a business owner. I've always been a business steward, meaning I had a responsibility to bring this entity to life mm-hmm. to support this business, but it's the continuance of the business and the impact it's having that's greater than my involvement in the business. Mm-hmm. So those are the five levels and how it works is all those levels play out in business at all time. You, you have to be transformative for your clients. You, you need to focus on efficiency and be profitable and make sure sales are coming in the door. The question that I address and fix this next is of all those things that are always happening, which one right now needs your undivided attention? Which one is the one most important thing? Once you identify that and you resolve it and prove it, then the next one most important thing will present itself. But by definition of the word most, only one thing at a time can be addressed this way. Mm-hmm. So we use it to find the vital need. You don't climb a ladder and wave from legacy. You'll bounce around. You may have to revert back and improve sales. Then you get from profit going and you boost for more sales and you move to efficiency. So you move around here, but we always concentrate our energy on resolving the one next thing in a big way while just maintaining the other elements. That's what I thought was interesting about that is that visually it looks like, hey, this is the one thing at the bottom, which is like sales always has to be that priority, but that's not actually the way you explain it in the book, which obviously makes sense because as you scale your business up, there, there, it presents new problems, right? So as I get larger, then I need new systems or I need more people, stuff like that. So I thought, and that also, again, transfers to this idea of well-rounded fitness, which is as I get stronger, maybe I don't need to focus so much on strength. Maybe I need to focus a little bit more on cardiorespiratory endurance, but I don't need to ignore being strong. I just need to be a little bit more balanced with regard to how I manage those two aspects of my overall fitness, which so that made sense. And, and you said something there that reminded me of, I think it was in profit first. You talked about him as like, as I was reading the book, I was like, he's actually talking to me right now. <laughs> I love hearing that. <laughs> it was, it was something about, uh, I think you brought up the concept of, um, removing yourself from the business too soon, which is kind mm-hmm. of like the, the, the e-myth, right? Just like, Hey, work on the business, not in the mm-hmm. business. And then I think that's what a lot of specifically micro gyms do is they get this idea that I need to work on my business, but they do it far too quickly and they start outsourcing yeah. things. And basically that outsourcing outpaces cash flow. And now I've created another problem for myself. Um, have you, what are some of the things that you've seen, particularly in businesses or even in your own business that would help people avoid or have a better roadmap to not remove themselves too soon? Yeah, it, it's, it's realizing it's a throttle. Um, so I do talk extensively about this in clockwork. Mm-hmm. design your business for itself. And coincidentally, 
uh, about five, six years ago, I did a keynote in conjunction with Michael Gerber, the author mm -hmm. of E-Man. Yep. We went out to dinner afterwards and uh, I said, well, what do you think is the biggest misconception around E-Man? And it, it was your point exactly is that many people see this as a switch. Like I'm going to work in the business until one day I'll work on the business. So there's like this magical day we're waiting for mm -hmm. where it all flips over and we leave the business. And so we behave that way. We just work in it, work in it and say, I've had enough. Now the business is ready to run on its own. But since it's always been on our shoulders, the second we leave, everything falls and collapses. Mm -hmm. What we really is, is a throttle. And we move, I believe, through four distinct stages. First, we're doing work. That's where we're in the business. Then we move to this level called deciding. And deciding is a precarious, necessary step, but it, we got to bridge this quickly. Deciding is where you start bringing in employees to do some work, but they're not really doing any of the thinking you are. That's when they come with an endless, endless stream of questions, right? Do this, do that, do this, mm -hmm. do that. That's not really scalable because uh, at a certain point, you're the only brain for the business with arms running around doing things, but you're still under your full domain of control. So the next level is called delegation. Delegation is where we don't assign tasks. We sound assign expected outcomes. Mm -hmm. What's the result you're going to drive? As an example, I had a, a bookkeeper, in-house bookkeeper, and when I, when I was deciding for her, I simply said, do the invoicing. And when there was a question, she'd come back. When I started really moving to delegation, I was saying, make sure we build timely and accurately. We actually had discussion around why that's so important. Yep. So as long as you get us that outcome, follow the pathway that serves us best to get there. The key of delegation too is when people come back with questions, we have to have the fortitude of not answering. We gotta say, well, what's your choice? I hired you for your decision-making, your own brain. If we get past that third stage, the fourth stage then is uh, designing. Designing is where we have clarity on where we want to move our business to. And it's the consideration of all the resources we have around us in choreographing them to get to that outcome. So how do I make my, my employees and our technology and the vendors we work with, and even the customers themselves, how do we channel them so we can get to this outcome quicker, faster, and more efficiently? And I believe actually that's the ultimate definition of an entrepreneur. Sadly, there's this hustle and grind mentality that's circulating around entrepreneurship. And that was never what entrepreneurship was. It wasn't like start something and carry it on your back until you almost die. Like that was never intended that way. Entrepreneurship's always been about having a vision and manifesting it through the organization of resources. So the definition of that is what I call designing. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's interesting because everybody gets, and admittedly myself, gets stuck in this this idea that I, I can do it, I can do it best, and nobody else can do it. Nobody else can do it better than I yeah. can. Um, but what I've, so my, my, the solution that I have found recently that's worked well with regard to kind of removing myself and working on that deciding versus delegating is while managing cash flow is moved to virtual assistant and kind of played around with some different things there. Um, because it's forced me to, because that person is absolutely not here. Um, but it's helped me work through that process of, okay, I'm going to give you the task. If this, then that, and then what we've been bouncing back and forth is she will come back to me with, okay, well, are you okay if I do it this way? And then my response will be what you recommended, which is, I want the outcome. Just tell me what you're going to do. And that's fine. I don't care. Yeah, beautiful. I, yeah. Beautiful. And, uh, and it's helped me a lot <laughs> like because you just can't take your hands off of things as the boss. Like it's just a weird, it's a double-edged sword, which is like you got, you set it up, but then you just literally never take your hands off of it. Yeah. I, I call it a superhero syndrome. I grew up in the seventies, early eighties and I remember watching Batman, mm -hmm. you know, Adam West and the commissioner, the police commissioner had a bat phone 
And every time the, the villain of the day was coming around, the commission would quickly call Batman and say, save the day again, which meant the police force was not strong enough, not capable enough to defend itself. They actually became more and more dependent upon a superhero. That's what happens in our businesses, is that the team keeps on calling Batman for us, the superhero, to swoop in and save the day yet again, which in that process, we disable our team from, from being the force. So we have to have that discipline of saying, you're on your own here. Support, you know, moral support, mm-hmm. uh, be the cheerleader, but they got to they gotta protect themselves. And it also means allowing them to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. So when, when the employee comes and say, says, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, and you know it's a bad decision, you still say, you know what? Go for it. Let's see what we get. Now, you don't want to put a company at risk. You don't put something that's absurd yes. out there. But, but if, if, if they're going to learn, they're going to learn through the burn, let them get burned a little bit. Yeah, which as long as it's controlled, right? Like you, it's like yeah, a con- it's a controlled burn. It, I learned that from uh, one of my clients is uh, he owns two Chick Fil A's in the area, and that was one of the, I went and sat with him on numerous occasions and just walked through their processes and systems because oh, they cool. they do things very very efficiently. And that was one of the things he he discussed with me, and he said typically it takes people five times to make a mistake before they'll probably do it better than you. But you have to let them go through the process of making the mistake and then do the education. There's no amount of front loading of information that's gonna prevent people from making mistakes. So So he's like, just let them do it and then correct correct them along the way. And by the time the fifth one comes around, they're generally just fine, if not better than you. So so I've had to go through that and like you watch things unfold. I'm like, this isn't gonna go well, but it's not not gonna be the end of the world. So you just let it do and use it as a teaching moment. Um, I wanted to ask you because this is obviously a very unique time in the world. Uh, particularly with re, with uh, regard to fix this next, is there something that you've seen since the launch of the book? Because what was the actual launch date? I don't remember when you. Actually... It was uh, April twenty eighth, so the second month like, into the COVID crisis. Yes, have is there something particular that you've seen with the businesses that you work with that has come to light that is that is like the been their linchpin that they didn't know? Yeah, so. Uh... A lot, a lot of businesses were trying to skip levels. That's, uh, that was kind of a, a, an awakening. So these businesses said, I have to give to my community. Like we have to be of service. And they skipped the fundamentals of sales, profit, and order. So they were giving without the business getting. Mm-hmm. And we've seen businesses sadly shutter their doors because they try to skip levels. They, they try to have great impact without mm-hmm. caring for themselves. I've also seen another stream where businesses, if you, if you picture that, pyramid like a, like a, bill, a building. Mm-hmm. I seen some businesses saying, we got to sell our way out of this. And they start slashing prices and doing whatever. And so they're trying to build up sales, but they've compromised profit. In fact, they're losing money. So as sales is expanding, they're collapsing within themselves. Mm-hmm. The, the businesses that are successfully doing this um, are analyzing the, the tool and fix this next, the business hierarchy of needs is what I call it. Mm-hmm. Pinpointing the one thing and um, using empirical data to validate it, is it or not, they've gotten away from I trust my gut, like, oh, we need better start running Facebook ads to save ourselves. That's a gut thing. The question is, what have I done so far in marketing that's working, what hasn't working, hasn't worked, let's mm-hmm. amplify it's working. So the businesses that identify the problem they have, but then back it with historical information, empirical data, are doing all right, are doing better than all right, they're positioning mm-hmm. themselves. And, and we see out of every recession, out of this recession will come some of the strongest businesses because they, they learn, it's trial by fire now, they're learning to survive through the hard times, which means they'll thrive through the good times. Because most, I mean, it's 2020 right now. 
we went basically more than more than 10 years of a basically a bull market and so most businesses haven't ever had any sort of economic strife and they're just like how do i do this so it's been interesting what i have found interesting is that in the midst of all the economic chaos the the civil chaos and everything is that um there's this fear at least what i've seen that there are no customers like that nobody is buying anything yeah and i've seen the exact opposite where people are more willing to purchase things and, and interact um, and which has benefited us, you know, greatly, but uh, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense in that, in that regard, because I'm like, you wouldn't think that was the case, you know, stimulus checks and all this other stuff, but people are coming into the gym and they're just like, yeah. Uh, and I want to be here for a very long time. So it's interesting. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a new demand rising for sure. Um, so I, I think, it's interesting. I see this, and I don't know if it's playing out in this economy, but I believe in the very early onset of struggle, a lot of people will do things because they feel it's the right thing. So businesses will start giving to a community. The community will start giving to businesses. We got to be loyal to uh, those restaurants. I'm going to do all the takeout from them. I think that happens in the beginning, but I think at a certain point, people start getting strained from the contribution and they actually start looking back inwardly. What's my big needs? So I think there's going to be ongoing shift. The thing is, demand never goes away. I, I think it changes. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that people will want things in a new way. I, I call this, instead of the last time, we, in 2008 was a great recession. This is the great reinvention. Mm-hmm. I think we've got to be very aware of how our past patrons uh, are now buying and simply asking them, how can I serve you now? And I think there's going to be morphing for a lot of businesses. I agree with you. That, and that's... It's funny you say that. I've been asking that question. Oh, good. Just, I mean, not not for any particular reason. I just thought it, it just felt right to do. Which is, is there anything I can do for you? What can I do for you? How can I help? Um, and and I don't mean that in the sense of like um, trying to have impact and giving away cat, you know, like giving away services, but like trying to get ideas and just figure out where everybody's at in this whole mess. Um, and I think, I do think that there's a lot of micro gyms that are about to make a mistake and, and we'll find out, it could be wrong, but there's a big shift for everybody to move everything virtual and just yeah. do everything online. And I actually think this is super relevant right now because that idea violates Maslow's, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, the belonging level, yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah, to 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 shift that far to one side, one extreme is going to be a problem. I think there's going to be some first mover advantages. The first people that nail that virtual stuff will do okay for a period, but I don't think we're going back to the old model either. We just got to keep asking. No, yeah, I think there's I think there's probably, and I, so I guess because you do you have virtual products, but you also have in person or yep. or kind of like coaching and stuff like that. How, what have you guys seen in your businesses with regard? I have this weird feeling that as as people become aware that virtual sales is a thing or virtual service is a thing, they will shift some focus there. Some people will go all in and probably lose because people like Peloton and Nordic Track have already claim to that space and, yeah, do it yeah, better yeah, totally. and have and have more capital. Um, but in that shift focus over there, I do think there's probably a discussion to be had about people wanting person like physical interaction even more. I agree. And I, and I got to drop in about 60 seconds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so the shift I see in our industry is that um, th- there is a pining to be together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we're doing this 50-50. There's definitely advantages to quicker 
consumption of information. There's, mm -hmm. there's easier access, but people are losing that tactile experience. So right now we've, sh we have introduced tons of virtual products and that's what's being consumed because you can't meet, mm -hmm. but we've maintained that access to when we can meet, we're ready right away. And I think it's going to settle in somewhere in the middle. That's awesome. Well, listen, I want to be respectful. Thank you so much, guys. Check out Fix This Next. I already read it. It will help you. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you for everything you've done. I really appreciate it. Oh, this has been a joy. Thanks for suggesting the book. I appreciate Abs it. Absolutely. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. If you haven't already, do us a favor, head over to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback for either Fern or myself, hit us up, day at gmail.com or send us a DM over on Instagram at bestouroftheirday. Once again, we couldn't do this without the amazing community and you are a part of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting Best Hour of Their Day.